0: Who are you? Where are you from? No. Where are you really from? How old are you? Is that Catholic? Are you, are you a Shia? Were you born there? Did you grow up there? Where did you grow up? Identity. That one thing that gives us a sense of self. Or does it give us a sense of selfish? Or does it give us something else, or anything at all? In the social sciences, identity is the qualities, beliefs, personalities, looks, and or other expressions that make up a person. You have roughly two identities in the social sciences, the self-identity and the collective identity. One's self-identity is a collection of beliefs about oneself as in yourself. Generally, self-identity manifests the answer to the question, Who am I? Well, have you ever asked yourself who you are? Take a second to be self-aware, maybe. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Self-awareness is the observation of one's own personality or singularity. Self-awareness is how an individual consciously knows and understands their own personality, feelings, motives, and desires. Self-awareness has been called arguably the most fundamental issue in psychology from both a developmental and evolutionary perspective. A chap named Philippe Rochard claims there are five stages of self-awareness first one is actually level zero. He calls it confusion. At this level, the individual has a degree of zero self-awareness. This person is unaware of any mirror reflection or the mirror itself. They perceive the mirror as an extension of their environment. A level zero can also be displayed when an adult frightens himself in a mirror, mistaking his own reflection as another person. Then we have level one that is differentiation. The individual realizes the mirror can reflect things. They see what's in the mirror. That's different from what's surrounding them. At this level, they can distinguish between their own movement in the mirror and the surrounding environment. Then we have level two, situation. At this point, an individual can link the movements on the mirror to what is perceived within their own body. This is the first hint of self-exploration on a projected surface where what is visualized on the mirror is special to the self. Then you have level three, identification. This stage is characterized by the new ability to identify the self. An individual can now see what's in the mirror and not another person but them. It is seen when a child is... Instead of referring to the mirror while referring to themselves, refers to themselves while looking in the mirror. Then there's level four, permanence. Once an individual reaches this level, they can identify the self beyond the present mirror imagery. They can identify the self in previous pictures, looking at a different or younger self, i.e. the permanent self is now experienced. And this level five, self-consciousness or meta-self-awareness. At this level, not only is the self seen from a first-person view, but it is realized that it is also seen from a third person's view. They begin to understand that they can be in the mind of others. For instance, how they are seen from a public standpoint, how others perceive them. Self-knowledge. Self-knowledge is a term used in psychology to describe the information that an individual draws upon when finding an answer to the question, what am I like? So what are you like? Well, self-knowledge informs us of our mental representations of ourselves, which contains attributes that we uniquely pair with ourselves, and theories on whether these attributes are stable or dynamic to the best that we can evaluate ourselves. The self-concept is thought to have three primary aspects. One, the cognitive self. Two, the affective self. And three, the executive self. The affective and executive selves are also known as as the felt and active selves, respectively, as they refer to the emotional and behavioral components of the self-concept. Self-knowledge, however, is linked to the cognitive self, in that its motives guide our search to gain greater clarity and assurance that our own self-concept is an accurate representation of our so-called true selves. Collective identity is the shared sense of belonging to a group. A chap named Alberto Malucci writes, Collective identity is an interactive and shared definition produced by several individuals or groups and concerned with the orientation of action and the field of opportunities and constraints in which the action takes place. He considers collective identity as a process that is negotiated over time with three components. Cognitive definition, active relationship, and emotional investments. So what's cognitive definition? That is the formulation of a cognitive framework concerning goals, means, and the environment of action. Active relationship is the activation of relationships among the participants. And emotional investments are a recognition between individuals. There is a relationship with memory, the mind, self-knowledge and its structure affect how events we experience are encoded, how they are selectively retrieved and recalled and what conclusions we draw from them and how we interpret that memory. The analytical interpretation of our own memory can also be called the meta-memory and is an important factor of metacognition. Now, mind and memory are really important because it's the brain that ultimately interprets your identity, yourself, the collective, and any other form of identity. It's the brain. So what's this specialized memory? Well, studies have shown there is a memory advantage for information encoding with reference to the self. Somatic markers, that is, memories connected to an emotional charge, can be helpful or dysfunctional. There is a correlation, but not a causation, and therefore cannot be relied on. Patients that have Alzheimer's who have difficulty recognizing their own family have not shown evidence of self-knowledge. Think about that. People with Alzheimer's have not shown evidence of self-knowledge. People can maintain a sense of self that is supported by semantic knowledge of personal facts in the absence of direct access to those memories that describe the episodes on which the knowledge is based there are actually three sources of information available to an individual through which to search for knowledge about yourself, about the self. Number one, the physical world. This physical world is highly visible and quite easily measurable source of information about oneself. I mean, you're in it. Number two, the social world. This is the comparative nature of self-views, meaning that people rely heavily on the social world When seeking information about themselves, including measuring yourself to others. Keeping up with the Joneses? mm. And thirdly, the psychological world. The psychological world describes our inner world. There are three processes that influence how people acquire knowledge about themselves in this psychological world. Introspection, self-perception and casual attributions. There are other forms of identity when looking at your own identity outside of self and collective identity. I'll give you a couple of examples. One is cultural identity. This is the identity of belonging to a group. It is part of a person's self-conception and self-perception and is related to things like nationality, ethnicity, religion, social class, generation, locality or any social group that has its own distinct culture. Cultural identifiers may be the result of various conditions, including your location, your gender, your race, your history, nationality, language, your sexuality, your religious beliefs, your ethnicity, aesthetics, and even food. Let's use the example of language. Language develops from the wants of the people who tend to disperse themselves in a common given location over a period of time. This tends to allow people to share a way of life that links individuals in a certain culture that is identified by the people of that group. How about this is another example. National identity. This is a person's identity or sense of belonging, sorry, to one state or to one nation. It is the sense of a nation as a cohesive whole, as represented by distinctive traditions and cultures and language, etc. This national identity is not an inborn trait. There's no biology here. It is a socially constructed mechanism, a mental construct, if you like. And then we throw things in like national symbols. You can throw language in there. Colours, nations, history, blood ties, things like culture, music, cuisine, radio, television, that kind of thing. In philosophy, identity comes from the Latin identitas, i.e. sameness. It is the relation each thing bears only to itself. The notion of identity gives rise to many philosophical problems. If X and Y share all the properties... Are they the same thing? Questions about change and personal identity over time, i.e. What must be the case for a person X at one time and a person Y at another time? Problem of the philosophical personal identity is concerned with how one can identify a single person over a time interval. Dealing with such questions as, well, what makes it true that a person at one time... Is the same thing or the same person at another? So, what kind of things are we persons? Is uh, five year old Adolf Hitler the same as the one in 1939? German polymath Gottfield Wilhelm Leibniz claimed that the law of identity, which he expresses as everything is what it is, is the first primitive truth of reason. Then we have this hot potato topic of identity politics. Yes, identity politics. Wherein people of a particular gender, religion, race, social background, class or other identifying factors develop political agendas around one or more of these categories. Identity politics describes people of specific race, ethnicity, sex, gender, identity, sexual orientation, age, economic class, disability, status, education, religion, language, profession, political party, even veteran status, and geographical location. These identity labels are not mutually exclusive, but are in many cases compounded into one when describing hyper-specific groups, a concept known as inter- Sectionality. This intersectionality is a uniquely American, highly political, almost liberal fundamentalist, or woke if you prefer, view of identity that is hyper-focused on defining yourself into complex little categories of multiple layers. However, intersectionality, like the identity of you, And your collective, as we have just discussed, is only 20% of what identity is. Identity is not just about what you think of your identity, but about what others think you are. And to me, that is the real identity. It's how others class you. That is 70% of your identity. I will get to the remaining 10% in a minute. But when I see a white guy, I see a white-skinned male. When I see an Indian woman, I see an Indian female. I can guess the guy maybe in his 50s and the woman in her 30s. I might be able to make some assumptions about them by what they're wearing. But at that point, that's all I have. I may be in India, and in India, the white guy is a rare commodity. Or... I could be in South Africa, where both whites and Indians are commonplace. Alternatively, I could be in China, where both the Indian and the white person are rare. Context is important. The technical term for this, by the way, is judging a book by its cover, although I like to call it human nature. No one in India sees an Indian as a brown person, although they might see it, or even a person of colour. That is nonsense. Indians see an Indian as just another person. They do, however, see a white guy as a white guy because, he, well, he's a white guy and is a rare commodity in India. Let's make some more broad generalizations. Okay, so I'm an Indian in Delhi. I'm surrounded by a sea of humans and see a girl with slanted eyes. What is my expectation? Well, she is wearing distinctly Indian clothing. I notice she speaks Hindi. I can assume she's either maybe Chinese or from India's northeast. Maybe northern West Bengal. Maybe Bihar, northern Bihar. Chinese? Well, that could be a big, huge overgeneralization. But people with slanted eyes are Chinese. But the common rickshawala in Delhi won't know Chinese from Japanese and Malay from Thai. To be honest, many Indians won't know the difference between Japanese-looking peoples and Korean-looking peoples. So an identity is thrust upon this girl by me based on my knowledge of the world. And that's in Delhi. Take that to rural India, or to a part of India where Hindi isn't spoken widely like Tamil Nadu, and it gets yet more complex still. Is she even Indian? North Indian? Hindi or is it Bengali? A Hindu or something else? Is this judgment concept in our nature? We see someone and pass some judgment. It is said a job interviewer can pass judgment on a prospective candidate in the first few seconds of seeing that individual walk into the room. How others categorize you matters more than you think self categorization is nice to a point. What others think matters so much more. I know it's not what they teach you in self-help books or fancy TED Talks, but that is the way of the world. Look at history. When the Romans were conquering Europe, North Africa and the Middle East, they were ruthless to the non-Romans, including capturing slaves. The British and their empire... The Muslims against the non-Muslims, the Christians against the non-Christians, the Protestants v- versus the Catholics, versus the Orthodox, Sunni or Shia, Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists. What are you if you are of Indian origin, born in the UK, growing up in the US, ethnically Indian, legally and birthwise British and resident in the US? Then again, India is one of the most diverse ethnic regions of the planet. So what is an Indian? Heck, what is a Brit or an American? If you or your self-identification is being an Atletico Madrid fan, then what do the Real Madrid fans think of you? What others think of you matters more than you think. And we know that. Deep down, we know that. We build An identity to project onto others how they view us or how we want them to view us. And then we get annoyed when they don't follow the rules we set out or we think we set out. Our clothes, sports teams, where we live, where we were born, where we grew up, the colour of the skin, accent, wealth or lack of wealth, work, family history, national history, the way we carry ourselves, some gods we worship... Maybe we don't worship. That list, it's endless, but it's how others think of you. You can take this up a notch when you consider digital identity. A digital identity is information on an entity used by a computer system to represent an external agent. That agent may be a person, an organization, an application, or a device. It could be a set of attributes related to, to an entity. By the way, that digital entity can and often is you or me as a digital product online. Digital identity also indicates certain aspects of civil and personal identity that have resulted from the widespread use of identifying information to represent people in an acceptable, technically acceptable, and trusted, technically trusted digital format within computer systems and algorithms. An online or digital identity or internet personality is a social identity that an internet user establishes in an online community or a website. It can also be considered as an actively constructed presentation of oneself, So just like in real life, like you buy the best car brand to show yourself off to others, and then they can pass judgment, now you present the best of you online. This creates for you a digital identity, a profile. In some online contexts, including internet forums, online chat rooms, and multiplayer games, including role-playing games, users can represent themselves visually by choosing an avatar, i.e. an icon-sized graphic images of oneself. These avatars are one-way user expressions, expressions of their online identity. Through interaction with other users, this establishes an online identity that requires a reputation to be built which enables other users to decide whether that identity is worthy of trust because technically they don't know if that site, if that icon is trustworthy or not so yes you can create multiple online identities and of course people do it always amazes me the name of a handle or a screen name people choose and how they behave online? Is that actually the real them because they've just been given a chance to do something? Or is the physical manifestation of them actually them? Hardly matters because the other person is the audience, always is, and the judge and jury of your identity is that other person in the physical manifestation or the online And that is, of course, when artificial intelligence isn't playing a role. One would hope the algorithms for AI are identity neutral. If you believe that online identity could get creepy enough, well, what about your financial identity? What does your bank think of your financial identity? Can you get a loan? This identity is shared by countless corporations to judge you. Sometimes it is shared with an employer or even a prospective employer and other institutions. Oftentimes, it is shared with the big guy, sometimes known as the big bad guy. You know, your local government, your friendly government, the one who may or may not be spying on you, the one who may or may not be arresting you, the government identifies you. A version of this identification is called a government-issued identification document. Something like a passport is considered to be the earliest identity document inscribed into law. This particular one, the passport, was introduced by King Henry V of England with the Safe Conducts Act. For the next 500 years after that point, up to the First World War, most people did not even have an identity document. Photographic identification appeared only in 1876, but it did not become widely used until the early 20th century when photographs became part of the passports and other ID documents such as driver's licenses, all of which came to refer to be referred to as photo IDs. Both in Australia and Britain, for example, they introduced the requirement for a photographic passport in 1915 after the so-called Lord Lordy Spy scandal, law enforcement officials claim that identity cards make surveillance and the search for criminals easier and therefore support the universal adoption of identity cards in countries that don't have a national identity card, there is some concern about the projected large costs and potential use of high sorry, potential abuse of high-tech smart cards. If you don't think your government do not know anything about you, the real you, the one they profile you on, the metadata from the other places that, that you are on, then you are naive. The European Union's GDPR rule defines personal data as, and I'm quoting, any information relating to an identified or identifiable natural person An identifiable natural person is one who can be identified directly or indirectly by reference to an identifier such as a name, an identification number, location data, an online identifier, or one or more of these factors specific to the physical, psychological, genetic, mental, economic, cultural, or social identity of that natural person. Then again, is the only identity binary? our DNA, our physical appearance, our physical and possibly our mental abilities and our gender? Is that maybe all it is? I don't think so. I think this is the biology. This is the remaining 10% of that identity that makes us. The 20% is the self-identity I spoke about. 70% is how others identify us. and This 10% is our biology. Why? Because we are social animals, looking for social approval and acceptance. We, you, me, want and need to fit in. Not always, but often enough. How do you identify you? Are you from a particular town steeped in history? A country that has or had a glorious past? Maybe you're from a family with status, upper class, rich. More to the point though, how do others identify you? Are you just another human being, or does your personal manifestation matter in some way, or the other, to someone else? What if, outside of the biological or physical identity we have, what if you detach from the social? What if you're open to shifting identities? What if suddenly you don't care about your perceived identity? Does that mean you are rebelling against that self-identity, the collective identity, as well as identity others dare to bestow upon you? Or is it more likely that you are simply replacing one identity with another so others can see you in a unique or different way? Does it even matter? Well, it sure does matter. My suggestion, take it or leave it, is that identity and what others think of you does matter. It matters because humans are social animals and that really does matter. This is History 101. It's Life 201 and Reality 301. No, I'm not saying you need to keep up with the Joneses and go buy the expensive car because a neighbor can afford it. Nope, not at all. But you do need to keep a tab and keep watch of your identity, both public and private. Because guaranteed someone else is looking at it. I'll leave you with this quote from Oscar Wilde, who himself had identities. Such as Irish, white, male, heterosexual, etc., 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 although he didn't ever have to define it then because things were less woke. He said, Most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions. Their lives, a mimicry. Their passions, a quotation. Let me repeat that. Most people are other people. Their thoughts, someone else's opinions. Their lives, a mimicry. Their passions, a quotation. Thank you for listening to this, the Alternative History Podcast. Please like and recommend to a friend. Please comment on iTunes and subscribe. Thank you so very much.